Hey guys, Barry Magladidi back for another episode of the Comeback Game podcast. Today I'm joined by Tim Martin, a founder of Success is Voluntary, a boutique consultancy group that specializes in helping organizations recruit, onboard, and train new salespeople. Tim, how are you doing today? Man, I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. When we record this, I'm not sure when it will go out, but when we record it, we're right in the middle of the America's Independence Day, 4th of July. So going to be barbecuing a lot of good meat here in a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, where exactly are you dialing in from today? Where in the States? Yeah, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. It's, uh, I don't remember the Celsius, but I think it's uh, right around 45, something like that. We're about 102 Fahrenheit today. So, yeah, so it's, it's warm, but not, it's, it's, it's warmer sometimes. So, Fantastic. Mate, do you want to start by just uh, sharing with the people that are watching and listening to this today a little bit about uh, you and what it is that you do? Sure. Um, I have spent the last 22 years in sales uh, leadership, building sales teams from scratch, uh, literally finding that first new salesperson and onboarding them and helping them get up and going and then eventually creating some leadership and helping them get up and going. So, I've done that five times. I've taken organizations from zero to um, as high as uh, $21 million in sales on, on insurance policies that cost about $600 a year. So you, you can imagine how many of those you have to sell to get to $21 million. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's new sales, by the way. That doesn't include the renewals that, that those policies pay every year, year after year. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. 22 years. I've, uh, pretty much made every mistake possible at least twice. I'm, I'm sometimes a slow learner. <laughs> so let's, let's dive down into that a little bit. Where did this all start for you? Man, I, you know what? It, it's really interesting. As I was getting ready to come on, I, I really did some, some soul searching. And, you know, I, I realized how many mind viruses I had uh, growing <laughs> up as a kid. I, I grew up very in a very, very small town in the middle of Wyoming, which is very desolate state to start out with less than half a million people live there and it's a massive geography um, and the town I li grew up in was even really really small um, I had a lot of love don't don't get me wrong but but we certainly were from very very humble means right um, I always wore you know we always had food I, I we never had a problem I, it wasn't like I didn't have shoes to wear to school or anything like that in fact I got a uh, <laughs> I got to wear designer clothes all the time, you know, Sears and Roebuck, right? They, they, those jeans that you couldn't even move. Uh, they were uh, not exactly designer, but you know, we always had clothes. Um, but I, I had these mind viruses uh, that I realized my, my parents, my dad was a, yeah, it was, you know, was a farmer came off of a farm and my mom uh, had a little bit more money growing up, but they would say things like, yeah, they have a lot of money, but they're no happier than we are, or I bet you they're miserable or those kinds of things, right? And so I kind of had this mind virus growing up that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I'm in, I'm in high school and there's an ad running on the radio, a little radio station. They said, you know, mechanics make, you know, they're hiring for mechanics and it was $400 a week. And I thought, oh my gosh, that would be awesome. If I could just make $400 a week. Wow. Uh, you know, so I almost became a mechanic over that. Nothing wrong with mechanic. That's a, that's an honorable uh, profession. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, that's kind of what I was, uh, kind of my mindset, you know, and I'll say this, I'll say it again, I'm sure somewhere, but if I had settled for my wildest dreams, I would have sold myself short. 
Mm. So, so let me tell you one real quick story about uh, growing up, growing up in, uh, in high school, I I had this situation, an opportunity come up. My, I don't know if your listeners uh, know what drum and bugle corps is. Probably not because most people in America don't know what drum and bugle corps is. It's a marching band for people that aren't quite nerdy. I mean, they're more nerdy than people in a regular marching band. And it's a, they tour this all summer long. These, these groups tour the country and uh, Wyoming actually has a really, really good one there. There's about 30 of these uh, groups that go all over the country and the Casper troopers were one of the top uh, five every year. And so it was, it was a big deal. People came from out of state to, to march with them. And um, my buddy and I, we made it. We, we, we went through the interview process or the audition process. We made it. And I came back, it was a three hour drive home. I was just floating on air. Of course, we didn't call our parents because it was long before cell phones. And I go in, my parents are so proud, you know, and I give them the packet of information about what's going to happen. And I go to bed. And the next morning, my dad just looks white as a ghost. He said, can we sit down and talk? And, you know, that's never a good idea. Uh, never a good mm-hmm. story. And he said, Jim, this is 1800 for the summer plus your food and you know we don't have that kind of money and so you know my friend went and I didn't and again I'm not I'm not crying the blues I'm just kind of telling you what happened but I want to put a pin in that I, I want to come back to that story in a little bit because I think it's really important mm. so so I get out of uh, high school and I moved to Arizona State I, I come down to Arizona to go to Arizona State University and uh, <laughs> I, I went to college because that's what was expected you know, I, I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this that can understand that. I, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I, you know, the only reason I was there is because it was expected and the girls were pretty and, and that's pretty much it. And, and there was a lot of parties I could go to. So yeah. Yeah, I did have a good time with that. But it was culture shock for me. Um, I, I joined the marching band there and that marching band had more people in it than my high school did. Right. It's the whole high school. And so it was, it was very much a culture shock, one of the largest universities in the country. Um, and again, I told you, I came from humble means. My parents really couldn't afford much in the way of uh, helping me with tuition and, and room and board. So I delivered pizza, delivered mm-hmm. Domino's pizza. And like I said, I had a lot of fun. My grades were really, really crappy. And so when ASU stopped uh, cashing my tuition checks, I had to go do something else. It's never a good sign when they won't cash your tuition check. They're like, yep, you're done. So um, I was with Domino's Pizza and I joined their management program and I loved it. I mean, it was like all of a sudden something clicked in me. I I had been pretty much a lazy piece of crap up until that point. I mean, if you really want to know the truth. And uh and I, I was rookie manager of the year for the entire system of Domino's Pizza. There were about 15,000 restaurants at the time. And wow. so I decided that I wanted to franchise. I wanted to buy a Domino's Pizza store. And I told you my family comes from very humble needs, but my grandfather, who was the farmer, um, had a really nice farm. He had a lot of land. And when he died, they sold it, and my dad inherited the money. And so I went to my dad and I said, Hey dad, let's uh, set this up. Um, you know, you give me the money, I'll go to the work. We'll be partners. And we went from there. So I, I moved my family totally across the country 
And I bought a store that was operating and we crushed it. I mean, it was like a magic fairy dust that I could sprinkle on everything and everything was going so awesome that I decided to buy a second store Mm. against my wife's advice. Um, She doesn't usually let me forget that. But uh, the second store, it it really, I learned some really super important lessons. I think your your audience may be able to learn from that, hopefully. And that was, uh, uh, the first one was arrogance. I was really kind of arrogant. I mean, I'd done so well, I just figured, you know, just put the store in my name and it's, everything's going to be great, right? Mm. And I had never run multiple stores. As a manager, I never ran more than one store. At How much harder could it be? So I was pretty mm. arrogant. I was also undercapitalized. Um, the money that I got from my dad went pretty, it, it didn't go very far after that first store. So we're trying to get the second store up and running based upon the cash flow of the first store. And it's that second store is not breaking even. So we're just sucking cash out of that first store. Um, I, my focus, I already mentioned that my focus was split and I got a, uh, I got a partnership with another guy who didn't bring any money to the table. He, uh, he was just uh, sweat equity and he did a good job. It's not his fault, but we just didn't have the money and, and he didn't have quite the same, uh, skin in the game because he didn't have money. So, um, so I started making some bad decisions uh, for cash flow reasons. Number one is I didn't tell my dad. I, I didn't want to admit to him that where I was financially. And so I kept paying him, right? Because uh, I was paying a loan to him. And, uh, and instead, of, uh, instead of paying the IRS, you know, Internal Revenue Service or some of my other creditors, I'm still paying my dad and, and making sure the payroll uh, gets paid. Um, and we filed for chapter 11 bankruptcies, which means we're going to pay everything back. Just time out, give us a moment. And so, um, all the creditors have to back off. You put together a plan. We worked through it, um, four times and, and the different creditors just wouldn't go with it. So they flushed me into bankruptcy, uh, chapter seven bankruptcy where they liquidate everything. And, uh, Again, uh, when the sheriff comes and puts locks on your door, you need to go find something else to do, right? Uh, so I thought that was the end of that horrible nastiness. And unfortunately, that wasn't the end. Um, we, I had personally guaranteed a lot of the loans and leases and things like that for the business. And so once the business bankruptcy was done, those people still had the right to come sue me, and they did. We received five lawsuits in 11 days. And when I say we, I mean my wife did because every single time that they rang the doorbell, I wasn't home for whatever reason. So wow. she still hates the doorbell. Uh, you know, this is 25 years later, almost 20, 23, 24 years later, something like that. So there's, there's something interesting that happened there, Tim, as well that I see within your story. And that's from this psychological aspect um, that we kind of learned from the inner game is that, you know, you grow up in this family that you, wasn't, you weren't poor, but you weren't far above that line, right? You had what you need, but you weren't flush with cash. And, you know, what I often share is that the experiences that we learn to survive become the experiences that our continued survival depends upon. Mm-hmm. And you learn to survive that experience of not having much money growing up. And you managed to make a few right decisions, attract an experience where, you opened that first store, it was highly leveraged, making you a bunch of coin. But to that part of your, your brain, the creature neurology, it wasn't yet programmed into surviving an experience of wealth. 
or into surviving mm-hmm. experience of leverage like that. And although we can experience it for a short period of time, eventually that deep-seated patterning that we've had for so long rears its head because we feel that that part of the brain is freaking out, feeling that we're unsafe, that we've got mm-hmm. this chance of dying. In, it sounds weird, but this is how that critter brain works, that we then start to create an experience that brings us back down to a level of often even below the level in which we've, we've lived at for a majority of our life. Mm, I, I totally agree with that. I, I can completely see that. I, it's been a pattern in my life that I hope I've broken. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I have self-sabotaged uh, more than once in, in my life. And uh, yeah, I, I heard Brian Tracy say a long time ago that if you're in commission sales, which I, that's the space I've been playing for a long time, that you'll make within 10% of what you really feel you're worth. Because if yeah. you're not making it, you'll go to work and work harder. And if you're making too much, you'll slow down because you start getting uncomfortable with the money you're making. So I, I completely see that. And especially with uh, not only in my own life, but of, of the people that I've hired and, and gotten started, I've hired and trained over 2,000 insurance, wow. straight commission insurance salespeople in my career. And so I, I see people that, you know, succeed wildly and uh, don't have near the talent of other people who struggle. And it's not because of effort. It, I, I really do believe it has a lot to do with those mind viruses that, that we sometimes get stuck with. Mm. It, it's interesting you, met, you mentioned the 10% um, from Brian Tracy, because something that we discovered a little while ago when we started to kind of do some further research is that what we found is that um, people will be comfortable to earn within 10% of their parents' income combined. Now, here's the freaky part is that when we started speaking to, to these people that we, went, we put through this, um, this study, is a lot of them didn't actually even consciously know what their parents were making. Mm. And yet when they, when they asked, sure enough, their income was within 10%, um, many of them lower, but, but, but most of them within 10% of their parents' income combined because of exactly what you spoke about. Like you say, mind viruses, more so around the environment or the container in which mm-hmm. we've grown up in. Now we can shift this. We, we can actually shift it. That's a beautiful thing about it. We help our clients do this all the time. But as you know yourself, um, going through that, that experience you've had, it can be extremely challenging as well to keep bumping up against that glass ceiling, <clears throat> getting taken back down again, but then having the courage to step back into it and, and find that ceiling again. And next time, just push it a little bit further and push it a little bit further. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes total sense to me. Total sense. So, yeah. so here I am, I'm, I have no college degree, right? I've spent my whole life in restaurants uh, up to this point. I, I, this is 14 years after I started um, in the restaurant industry. And um, so uh, what do I do? I go get a job in a restaurant. I, I become the general manager of a fast food uh, store, uh, Jack in the Box, or out in the Western United States. So they're not east of the Mississippi, but... Um, I, I call it the year from hell because it just wasn't, it was ugly, but, but um, I, I'm not going to get deep into faith. Uh, I, uh, you know, I don't think that's necessarily appropriate, but um, I, uh, I had had a, a pretty, uh, pretty big experience. Uh, felt uh, like I got back on track in my faith. And um, so I'm sitting there, it's a, about right on a year. And I'm sitting there on a Sunday evening and, and uh, with this company, you had to be in 
at 3 a.m. on Monday morning to do inventory and get all the payroll and all that stuff for the weekend. And um, I'm just, I'm in tears. I'm literally in tears because I don't want to go in. I'm telling you, this is a year from hell. I'm hating it. I don't want to go in. And um, so I just uh, literally said a prayer. I said, you know, if this is what you want me to do, God, I'll do it for the rest of my life and I'll stop whining. <laughs> I'll stop whining. <laughs> if it isn't, then I, I hope you'll show me. And uh, so I go in and I do my inventory. And I come out and my supervisor is in the restaurant. He's eating breakfast. And I kind of yelled at the shift leader. I said, when Keith walks in the building, you tell me. He goes, well, he didn't want you to be bothered. He said, uh, you know, he knew you were under deadline. I said, okay, well. So I go and I sit down with him. His name's Keith. And I said, Keith, uh, you know, what's going on? And he's got all these, all these binders in front of him. He's got them all open. And he's like, let's go through this, Tim. He goes, man, your mystery customer scores are some of the best in the country. Your profitability is way up. Your sales are way up. Uh, you know, all these things. He said, but here's the thing. I, I don't get the sense that you want to retire from this company, that you want to be here long term. And I said, God, I hope not. <laughs> I just said it like that. I don't want to retire from here, no. And he said, that's kind of what I felt. He goes, this is really crazy. I don't know why I'm doing this, but why don't we call today your last day and we'll pay you for uh, three months and um, you know, pay you for your insurance and all that. On well, the food service industry, you don't get three minutes severance, let alone three months. So uh, it just was unbelievable. So I, my wife worked right around the corner uh, and uh, close enough that I could walk. And I walked over there and I said, guess what? I got fired. I got fired. I was so excited that I got fired. And I didn't even know why. I didn't even know why. I just knew something had changed. And mm-hmm. so um, a friend of mine uh, was a district manager for an insurance company by the name of Aflac, which at that time nobody had ever even heard of. Nobody, yeah. I mean, they're big now in the United States, but, but nobody had even heard of them. Um, and I was talking to him. He said, uh, I, I knew he was in insurance. I knew he lived on a golf course. I knew he drove Lexus. Um, his parents, they didn't have any money. So I knew it wasn't coming from them. And so I said, Hey, I don't know uh, what your company even does. I know they're in insurance somehow. Um, do you ever hire anybody without experience? And he said, well, mm-hmm. We do. I said, well, who would I need to talk to? He goes, well, I'm the guy. And so we sat down and um, I was so excited. I went home and I told my wife, I said, we just went through bankruptcy a year ago. We're still working out from lawsuits. I just got fired and I want to go straight commission insurance sales. And she was fine. She's like, I I thought there was going to be really, really hard to sell her on it. And she was, she was excited. And so um, so we started and, and I, I couldn't even spell insurance when I started and never had done sales other than would you like breadsticks with that? And, but I started listening to Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and um, just uh, uh, Jim Rohn and all these people and started right. reading books by Max, John Maxwell and, uh, and Zig Ziglar and, and uh, you know, Les Brown. And I just, my faith system just completely started to change. It wasn't overnight, but it started to change. And it wasn't like it was a, a nice linear uh, climb either. I, we would, you know, we'd get two steps forward and one step back. And, um, but 
these lawsuits just kind of settled themselves. Again, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I'm a man of faith. And, um, but it was, it was just unbelievable, some of the stuff that happened. For instance, I uh, got a call from my lawyer saying, hey, one of your creditors has agreed to settle a $20,000 debt for $6,000. What do you want me to tell him? I said, tell him yes. He goes, Tim, do you have that money? I said, no. I don't have that money. And he said, well, you, it's pretty serious. You got, you got to, you know, if we say yes and, uh, and you don't pay it, not only are you going to be owed the 20, but they're going to tack on a whole bunch of other fees. I said, take it, take the, tell them or take the deal. Uh, that afternoon I drove home and there was a check in my mailbox for $6,600. Uh, my wife's father had passed away two years prior and there was uh, he had a piece of property that we didn't even know existed, that um, commercial property that the, the people had paid on it for several years. And then there was a period of time where they didn't pay. And then there was a balloon payment. Well, that was the balloon payment. Uh, it was 12, well, about $13,000. And her brother and, and her split that. And so here's a check in the mailbox that afternoon. And so those kinds of things, uh, all, this things, all these things I'm reading and listening to, all of a sudden it just started to click. And um, within five months I was promoted and another nine months after that I was promoted again. And uh, each one of these, when I say promoted, means I had a better title and a little better contract, but each time I started at scratch. So, yeah. uh, you know, so it's me and, uh, oh yeah, me. And so let, let's go find some people and let's build it and, uh, so that, that, that's kind of my story. I, um, I went into corporate America eventually for five years and just absolutely killed it, had a great time. Um, I, I don't want to get deep into some of the weeds here, but um, I, I had some health issues. And uh, so at the end of uh, 2017, at the end of 2017, I left corporate America and uh, went and started consulting and have had so much fun, been speaking all over the country and uh, consulting. And I have, uh, I have a handful of coaching clients. I had more, but I keep firing them and firing them and bringing on new ones and they pay more. So that, that, that works out. Okay. <laughs> so mate, um, if you were to look back at the last 20 odd years of your life and you know, look to summarize and distill down the three, key learnings out of that experience? What would they be? What would be the three key learnings or the three key mm -hmm. pieces of advice yeah. you'd like to share? Um, the first one is if you're in leadership, you, you have to believe in your people before they do. I just think that is a huge thing. It, um, if you are putting numbers on people's heads, right? I, and I tend to do that. You're a 10, that guy's a five, that, you know, uh, just for their for their abilities and 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 all those how they strike me, um, oftentimes uh, I see leaders who they have somebody on their team and and they have put a five on them and and they never get over that and so mm -hmm. they see them as a five and they treat them as a five and and uh, I just really believe that you have to believe in your people before they believe in themselves so. So I think that's in leadership. I think that's a huge thing. Um, yeah, for sure. Second thing is um, I, I did a, um, for my coach, I did this 
I did this uh, exercise where we had to ask five people to give five traits about you that um, make you successful. And I won't get into all of it, but there were some traits. And he told us this happens all the time. Is there some traits that people see in you that, that you don't even see in yourself? There's a lot that you see and you expect everybody to see. There's some that you see in yourself and you're just kind of surprised other people see it, right? You didn't realize it. And then there's some stuff that you see uh, in your, uh, you don't see in yourself or you, you certainly don't notice that if people are, no, are paying attention, you don't even necessarily see in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are the ones that really form your story, right? When, when you start seeing, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a second that we have to live up to somebody else's expectations or, or any of those things. But, but when we start to see what makes us successful through the people that we admire the most, I think that's something we can leverage. And so um, it's one of those things that, that, I, that I found um, to, to be a big part. And, and then the third thing, and this is, this is just, you know, uh, it sounds so cliche and we've already kind of talked about it, but it is you've got to constantly expand your belief system. You know, if, if you're making solid mid six figures, then there's no reason that you shouldn't be starting to believe that you can make a million. If you're making a million, then why, why can't you get to, you know, that seven figure mark? And, and I'm not talking about sales. I'm talking about income here. And so, um, you know, I, I just think that I, I just really believe that you have to continue to grow your faith system, your belief system. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people that have died a long time ago, just haven't died. You know, they just haven't laid down yet. Right. They died a long time ago, but just haven't laid down. So, uh, and, and you do that through, you know, uh, it's not just about listening to tapes, but it's also about improving your skills and, and, and those kinds of things, investing in yourself, getting a coach, getting a part of a mastermind group, being, being plugged in. And of course, I'm going to say that because I lead those kinds of things, but I, I tell people all the time, I'm probably not your right coach. Get one anyway, right? Yeah. So <laughs> get, get one anyway. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Like ultimately there's nothing stopping us from having what we want. We'd simply have it now. And often uh, it's not necessarily what the person's doing, but it's who they're being that's preventing them from having what they want. And once there's a shift with their being, their state of being naturally and automatically what they're doing starts to shift to resonate mm-hmm. with that new way of being. Yeah. You can't compartmentalize. We, we've, Oftentimes we can compartmentalize, be somebody different at church than we are at home, than we are at work. And, you know, that, that just isn't the case. So it just doesn't work that way at all. And uh, yeah, so you're dead on on that. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Tim, thank you so much for all you've shared. How can the viewers and listeners uh, that are checking this out today connect with you if they, they feel to? Yeah, absolutely. Love to talk to them. I just completely redid my website it, um, I have a web developer. I've never had a web developer. See, thinking, uh, uh, you know, thinking big, I, I have, uh, I had a uh, designer that I'm still working with on some other stuff in Switzerland. My web designer is in India. Uh, it, it's been amazing. So successesvoluntary.com. It's the, it's, uh, the podcast. I have a podcast, successesvoluntary.com. The podcast is completely done. The blog will be up in the next week or so. I don't know when this is going to air, probably be up by the time you guys listen to this, but um, check out the podcast for sure. It's 
I've had some fantastic guests on, including this Barry guy out of Australia. He came on a while ago. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Um, but at any rate, um, and there's a contact form there. Uh, I, like I said, I do some personal coaching. I do speaking. There's a speaker's page, link to my speaker's page there as well. And um, yeah, that's the best place to find me. I'm all over. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all under Success as Voluntary, of course, as well. So, Fantastic. Awesome. And uh, also too, like if you're watching or listening to this and you're wanting to shift some of those uh, mind viruses that we spoke about earlier, or maybe you're noticing that your income level or your business has plateaued out, uh, I'd love for you to jump on thegamechangers.com.au, uh, book a time to speak to one of my team, and they can certainly help to, to dive into the weeds and work out where you might be stuck and uh, how we can help you to move past being stopped to being successful. Tim, so, so grateful to have you on the show today, mate. Yeah, thank you for letting me uh, come on. It was better than therapy. It was a lot cheaper than going to a therapist. So, We'll, we'll, we'll let you get back to uh, cooking up your meat for uh, Independence Day. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. If you're in a position that many of our clients were before joining us, which is that your business is controlling you rather than you controlling your business, we would love to have a chat to you to see whether or not we might be the right fit to partner with you to help you grow and succeed in business. Over the past eight years, we've helped hundreds of business owners around the world to grow, scale and succeed in business. Uh, many of our clients report we've helped them to triple their profits and double their time off in 12 months or less. If you jump onto YouTube and notice the hundreds of testimonies, you'd see that this is a common theme amongst them. If you're a business owner that's generating more than $300,000 a year in annual revenue, uh, whether it's 500 million, five million, even $10 million a year, and you're looking to take your business and your life to the next level, we might be able to help. If you're noticing that your business is lacking structure, maybe systems or processes, maybe you're not quite attracting enough or, or the right type of quality leads, making enough sales, or maybe you've been having issues finding, hiring, retaining, and training the right team members, we could be a fit for you. Ultimately, we believe that we never have business problems, we have personal problems that are expressed through our business, and a lot of the work we do is with you as a business owner, helping you to constantly upgrade the way that you see life, the way that you make decisions, and the way that you help construct a profitable and purpose-driven business. In order for us to do that though, you need to book in a quick, a uh, 15 minute application call with one of our scaling specialists here at The Game Changers. Through the 15 minute call, we're gonna ask you a bunch of questions to see if or how we might better help you. If we can't help you, we'll let you know politely and do our best to point in the direction of someone that can. However, if we can help you, we'll look at booking you an, a one hour game plan session where we're gonna dive a lot deeper into where you and your business are at right now, where it is that you want to go in the next three, five, and 10 years time, and what are the potential roadblocks or challenges or even opportunities that are along the journey in order for you to get there uh, faster. If you're really feeling that it's time for you to, to experience the love and the joy of running a business again, if you're really wanting to experience a business that does actually operate without you while still producing profit, uh, we may very well be the right fit. So book in a 15 minute call, we can have a chat and uh, see where we go from there. My name is Babo Diddy and uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk soon.